0: Nothing compares to the power of our God. I I, I love the the wording, the phrasing in that in that song and that hymn. Reminds us of the book of Job, where Job has lost everything and he's getting all this wonderful counsel from his friends, because we always know our friends point us in the right direction. And, And and he's lost so much and he's in such misery. God comes to him and says, where were you when I made things? I didn't ask your ideas and your thoughts and your opinions on how I should design the world and the ebb and flow. And it just brings back to how marvelous and majestic is the power of our God that without us thinking about how things should work, God designed it perfectly. And we get to live in it. We get to bask in it. We get to enjoy the created wonder the created wonder of his world. Our King, our God. If you've got your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to wrap up Ephesians 2 this morning. Um, If you've got, uh, if you want to use the pew Bible, I believe it's on page 977, that's what it says there in your worship guide. Uh, Also, uh, maybe you want to use a smartphone or a tablet and you want to look there and scroll along, go ahead, that's perfectly fine. But we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture here, rounding out the chapter chapter 2 in the book of Ephesians. So let's kind of back up a little bit and see where we've been so we can uh, kind of, catch what Paul is speaking to us about here today. And so we started all of this in chapter one, obviously, because Ephesians one comes before Ephesians two, But it says there that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And for the rest of chapter 1, Paul lines out for us how God chose to do that. He did that because in love he predestined us to adoptions as sons. How did he adopt us? He sent his son Jesus Christ to bear the weight of our sin. It says there in Ephesians chapter 1 that we have received this by his blood. That's the cross of Jesus Christ, that's the atonement, that's the death, the burial, the resurrection to cover our sins and thereby we are what? Adopted as his children. We're brought into his family. We are family together He goes in chapter two and he talks to us about how we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus. He talks to us about how we were not of God's people. We were separate from the commonwealth of Israel, but God drew us who were far away into the closest quarters, into his, into his throne room and where we were seated at his table to enjoy the blessings of being part of God's family. And last week, we looked at how even our man-made divisions, the ridiculous things that we prop up to separate ourselves from other to say that we're better than this person or that person because then maybe we make more money, maybe we have a better education, maybe we have a different skin tone. We put all these things up there in sinful arrogance. And it says that Jesus is our peace. He took down that barrier. He took down that dividing wall And this morning we're going to look at the so what. You know, so what? Somebody gives you a bunch of information and we want to get down to the bottom line. What do we do with it? So what? What do we do with this fact that Jesus Christ has established peace where there was no peace? What do we do with the fact that Christ Jesus has bro- broken down this dividing wall, this barrier that separates us and we come to what I believe is a quintessential passage on the church, who we are as the church and what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at verses 19 to 22 together. And if you're able. I would like to invite you to stand with me as we read this passage honoring God for revealing his word to us uh, through the Apostle Paul. And he writes these words starting in verse 19. So then, you were no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, in Christ, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, again, in Christ, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how wonderfully awesome it is to know that we're part of your family. How incredibly majestic it is to realize that it's not just an individual, I came to Jesus, I'm gonna do my own thing, but you drew us together to do something magnificent right here among us. Father, help us to capture what it means to be unified in the spirit of peace. Help us to know, Lord, more today in our heart, in our mind, in our body, in our our building, what it looks like for us to be the true church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We love you, Lord. We love you, we love you, we love you. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this passage brings us into to the, the 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 grinding stone of how we flesh out life in Christ together it's it's in the church it's it's in the local body of believers where we can rub elbows with one another where we can encourage one another where we can challenge one another where we can grow together in spite of our differences there at the top of the page there's a there's a definition that's given there. This is something that I came up a few years ago I was doing a, a, a sermon series on the church and who the church is and, and I just want to read over this with you, it's on, the, yeah, it's on the screen back here. It says, the church is the body of the living Christ. As living bodies breathe, they grow. The breath of the church is the Holy Spirit. Its growth is the execution of God's plan for redemption as the church reaches into the heavens and worship the world and evangelism, the word and discipleship and into itself for care and for edification. But what is central to all of this is how the Holy Spirit of God is the very breath that the church breathes. The the word spirit, biblically speaking, also can be translated breath. It is what fills us. You know, go ahead, do this, go. Breathe in, come on, take a deep breath with the nose. Let's go. Ah, yeah. You feel your lungs. You were created to require oxygen. If you want to know how you'll do without oxygen, just hold your breath for a little while. Wait till you start turning purple. Wait till you start seeing ancestors and people that passed away years ago. <laughs> and then breathe again. You require oxygen. And just the way that you require oxygen, your cells, your body cannot function without. But you know very good well that you live in Fairburn, Georgia and living in Fairburn, Georgia or in this general area, you're not breathing just pure oxygen. You're breathing a lot of pollutants. You're breathing in carbon monoxide. You're breathing in a little carbon dioxide. You're breathing in a little pet food. You're breathing in a little uh, stuff coming off the interstate. You're breathing in a little bit of everything because the air that we breathe is not pure oxygen. But our bodies were designed such that the oxygen that is composed that of the air that we breathe, it's mostly composition of oxygen, that our bodies are designed to filter out that oxygen for its function. You and I live in a world where we're going to, as a church, breathe in all the pollution of the world around us, but we have to remain reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit as a family under the authority of God. Remember, we're not by ourselves. We were a adopted as sons and daughters of God almighty. Therefore, I don't know how it works in your house, but the way it worked in my house growing up and the way it works in my house now is uh, daddy's is the rule maker. Now, I get a lot of input from mama. And mama oftentimes is the one that has to be the enforcer. But my kids go out as my kids living under the banner of my name and they're covered by the last name Hill and that carries on for them for generation to generation to generation. But more importantly, if we're a family adopted by God, we live under his banner, under his name and therefore we go out in his image, his likeness to portray to the world what it means to be a family member of God's household. Which is why we have the church. Which is why God saw fit to assemble us, those that he called his own children, to be members of his household. That's why he assembled us together this morning, First Baptist Church of Fairburn, right here in the city of Fairburn, to be a light shining to the surrounding town, the surrounding world of what it means to embody the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he says in verse 19, so then... So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Maybe you forgot to put the change of address form in the mail, but you are not, no longer at the old house. You're in the household of God if you profess faith in Christ. You are now in the household of God. I love this. I love this because he's showing us how he has taken us from death to life, how he was taken us from not being his people to being his people. He's showing us what it means to live in the reality that all of the division that's around us, all of the division that we would like to impose on society, all the political structure, all the racial structure, all of the economic structure, all the educational structure, all of the whatever structure is gone once you move into God's house. And I'm not talking about this nice woodwork and these nice bricks and these nice stained glasses. I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit of God says, you, I am calling out of darkness, you respond by trusting Christ in faith and now you are grafted into his family. It is much bigger than just what we have in this building. But it is in this local building that we can flesh it out well what it means. And he says, you're in my house you're a member of the household of God. What does that mean for us? He gives it to us right there in verse 19. First off, he says that we're not strangers. Look right there in verse 19. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're not a stranger anymore. A couple weeks ago, we were inviting people from the community. I said a couple weeks ago, it's been about a month ago now, inviting people from the community to come and join us for revival services. And and I took Braden and Addison with me one day, and we or Braden with me one day, and we're uh, knocking on doors and we're handing out flyers, we're putting stuff in mailboxes off to of these neighborhoods. And I go to this one house. I ring the doorbell, because there was a car in the driveway. And and he, you know what happens because they'll do the exact same thing. You act like nobody's home. Right? Somebody rings your doorbell. You're not if you're not expecting somebody to come over, you don't go to the door. You, I know, I've knocked on your doors before. It's like, shh, turn the TV down. Uh huh, and, and you forget that you got those little sidelight windows beside your front door so I can see you on the couch watching your TV as I'm ringing the doorbell. I, you've all done it. I know, I know. So, so we're at this house over here, um, uh, over here off of Rivertown Road and, and Braden's there on the porch with me and, and we ring the doorbell. Now, I kid you not. This young guy, he probably 13, 14 years old. He comes to the door and they have, they have vertical, or they have blinds on their door. They're the little two inch thick ones, like faux wood or whatever. And he does this. And he peeks through I can see his eyes. And Braden says, Daddy, why didn't you open the door? I said, I don't know, buddy. So I rang the doorbell again. Somebody else comes to the door. There's a different set of eyes. Then I could hear feet. Nobody came to the door. Why? Because we were strangers. They didn't know who we were. Anybody letting strangers just rummage through your house this week? Anybody going to put a billboard out here on 85? Come to my house. Give your address. All strangers invited to just rummage through my stuff. You're not going to do that. So we went to another house, rang the doorbell. Two kids came to the door and they opened the blinds all the way. Eight years old, maybe about six years old. And they stood there and they stared at us. And they turned around and started yelling to somebody inside the house. Grandma, they said they're from the church. And they turned and look at me. Grandma says we can't let you in. So I'm holding up my little flyer. And I say, I'm going to put this in the door. Slid it in the door. And Brayden asked me, Daddy, why won't they open the door for us? Because you don't just open the door for strangers. There was a teaching moment. I ever said, that's why mommy and daddy told you, don't run to the door and open it when it rings. Let us see. Because you don't just let strangers. But when you come to God now, it's not a, man, who are you? You are not a stranger. No longer are you a stranger. You are known by God because you have come through Christ Jesus. You don't get there without the cross, but once you enter through the doorway of the cross, Jesus said, I'm the door. You want to get there, you got to come through me. You go through that door, you're not a stranger. Not only are you no longer a stranger, he says, You're not a foreigner, you're not an alien. Now, I know we live in this po- this uh, apocalyptic you know, crazy society with the walking dead and little alien heads and all that stuff. And you're thinking little green men, right? No, no, we're not talking about green men. We're talking about someone who is a foreigner, someone who is not from this land. We have resident aliens in America, men and women that grew up, uh, families that grew up in other countries but have come to reside here. That's an alien status. But here's the thing, when you are, when you are of an alien status, you still have residency or you still have ties to the homeland. Some people were able to apply for dual citizenship. That way you're no longer an alien here, but you're not an alien when you go home either. What God says is you're not gonna be an alien in my house, but you're gonna be an alien to the world around you because you're going to be operating a little bit differently than how the world around you operates. When it comes to God, you're not a foreigner, but people are going to look at you like you're speaking with some crazy accent they can't understand because you are speaking the holiness of God in a world that can't comprehend it. But you're not an alien to God. You're not a stranger to God. You're not a foreigner to God. You are his. And You see how unifying that is? In a world that wants to divide us and keep us separate, that wants to classify us by where we grew up, how we grew up. You can't do anything in this world without them asking you to classify yourself. You can't even fill out the warranty registration on a refrigerator without them asking you what color you are, how much money you make, what kind of schooling you have. They want to classify all of these things, but God says, you're in my house, that doesn't matter because you know my son why don't we live that way day to day? See, we're not foreigners. We're not, we're not strangers. We're not aliens. Instead, look at what he says that we are. We are fellow citizens. He goes on, he says, no longer, so then you were no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. That means all of those people that trusted God for salvation for all time are now part of your Family. They're now part of your closest circle. And that can be a little bit terrifying, you know. I've been to family reunions. Sometimes you don't want all the family getting together. But it's different in God's family. Let me rephrase that. Rightly understood, it should be different in God's family. Because we're fellow citizens. We're fellow citizens under a household that executes its rules and its laws and its purpose perfectly. See, it's hard for us to embrace this whole citizenship idea in a broken world system because it doesn't matter if you're in America or some other government, the governments that are man-made that enforce the laws of, the, of this present world always fall short. They always go lenient on some and tougher on others. They always look at some with a a more suspecting eye than they do others. And some people know what it's like to embody that, to live that, to walk through that. But we serve a God who is over his house and through the blood of Christ, he executes his justice, his purpose, his plan equally, truly. Truly gracefully, victoriously. See, maybe you struggle with this whole citizenship and freedom and and, and you carry the weight of this world on your shoulders. I wish that I could assuage that for you. I, I wish that I could lift that burden. I wish that I could carry that pack for you that mile or two or further down the road. I can't, but I know someone who can. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, who bled and died for you and for the one who has made you feel that way and carry that burden. And he is offering you peace and forgiveness that this world will never offer as you become a citizen of the household of God. We're God's house. As followers of Christ, in him, we are his house. This structure, this building, this isn't, this isn't God's house. This is a building that houses those who are the house of God. Can the spirit of God use a building? Can the spirit of God fill a space like this? Absolutely. But this isn't God's house. And, and I, know, I know that... Culturally and, and generationally, that might be kind of a hard statement to digest, but Jesus tore down the temple veil when he was crucified, separ- that tore the veil that separated God from man so that when the Holy Spirit came, it would no longer be that God dwelt in one place and one place only, but that he dwelt in all of us and therefore we are the dwelling place. We are the house of God. This is not... This is just where we get together to praise him. This is where we get together to to, kind of huddle up, to come up with the God-driven game plan for how we execute his justice in the world around us. God's house is everywhere we go as long as you are living in Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the foundation of the household of God. Look at me if you in verse 20. He says there that all of this was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. See the cornerstone in first century building and, 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 and Bible times building was, was hugely important. See, if you're going to build a house in the state of Georgia right now, um, building codes require that you have a foundation wall, a footing of at least 18 inches deep of concrete. So, so what that means is that you got to go out there, and your contractor's going to bring somebody with a track hoe out there, and they're going to dig this nice little trench all the way around the perimeter of what your house is going to be. And then, if you don't have a slab, if you've got kind of a crawl space or something under there, what they'll do is they'll go into key places where the weight and the load of the house is going to be, and they're going to dig this nice square deep, 18 inches deep down into the dirt there. And they're going to put them in key places under your house. And then the, then the concrete truck's going to come up there and he's going to back himself up and beep, 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 beep. And the big hose is going to come down there and it's going to shoot concrete. And he's going to be able to guide it and fill up that entire perimeter and each of those little holes right there. Because what happens is when you build a house, if you don't have that, it's got to have that 18 inches of concrete down under there to hold the weight of your house so that you You don't start sinking into the earth. That's modern building. It wasn't so easy when they were building their houses back in the days of Jesus and before. See, what they had to do was they had to find that one stone that was cut perfectly right and perfectly square. And as they dug their footing, as they dug their foundation, they had to set that stone exactly right so that the rest of the house would line up to it. And if they didn't set that cornerstone exactly right, you might get a nine foot wall this way and instead of a 90 degree angle, like an 84 degree angle and a nine foot two inch wall this way. And next thing you know, it looks like a house that your kid drew on a napkin. Structurally, it's not going to fly. But it says in Psalm chapter 9 verse 11 that he has chosen his perfect cornerstone that he will lay in Zion. Peter picks this theme up over in 1 Peter chapter 2 where he says this stone that the builders rejected is God's choice cornerstone. And Paul says here that we have a foundation on which God can build his house, on which God can assemble his people and it's Jesus. Jesus. This is why you don't get unity and peace without the cross of Christ. This is why you and I can try to fix things our way. We can try to mend our relationships our way and it never go right. That we will always be frustrated and disappointed. That we will always be lacking. That we will always wish that there was something more, that there was a better way. When God says there is a better way. There's a perfect way, a perfect foundation that is laid. That's why if you are ever in a church and Christ Jesus is not lifted up as the Son of God and the only means of salvation, you need to get out of there because they're going to teach you something false. We saw some friends just yesterday we traveled back to South Carolina to do a funeral for for a lady that was part of our last church and and we were having we were just having some conversation with some friends and uh, they were telling us about a couple of churches they had visited, and there was one that they had visited and they had some friends that went there and, and they, the words they said was you know it really wasn 't like a you know in your face step on your toes type sermon or anything but at the end they made it at the end of the service they made a disclaimer comment that you know, for, for all of you that aren't, you know, that are visitors aren't used to being here, we don't always preach this heavy hellfire brimstone kind of stuff. They said, we kind of knew right then that it really wasn't for us because it wasn't really hellfire and brimstone that they were preaching, that it was soft. And I'm not saying that every sermon you have to, that you hear has to be, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're, a sinner, you're going to hell, get Jesus. No, 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 don't have to be that. But if it does not point to the righteousness of Christ and Christ Jesus is the only hope and not just the stuff you'll get and not just 19 ways to have this or to do that. If it's not about who Christ Jesus is, then it's built on a faulty foundation and will lead you astray. If we are in the household of God, it starts because Jesus is our foundation. Because Jesus is our foundation, we've got to look at what God's doing. Verse 21 shows us that God is building his house. See, God is building. It says in there, in Christ, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple. I I, I love the phrase there, being put together. It's not that you're doing it. It's intentionally used in a passive voice. The house doesn't build itself. There is a master carpenter that is at work. A few years ago, my parents built a house uh, when I was still in high school, and you know, the, the trucks didn't drop the lumber and the brick and the siding and the sheetrock off. And like, they come back two months later, and there's just a house there that somehow, you know, bippity boppity boo, there it is. There, there weren't boards later on. You know, we should get together and do something. Hey, nails, come stick yourself through my head. Let's let's put yeah. No, there was somebody that was looking at a plan for what it needed to be and how it would look and masterfully knew how to assemble, to cut, to to trim what was useless, to make sure it was useful for the purpose of being the house. That is what God does when he assembles us together, when he draws us back to the purpose of being in Christ which is to glorify him, to show to the world that there is a savior and how he has revealed himself is in his son, Jesus Christ. It says there that in Christ, the whole building is being put together. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. See, this whole thing is done in Christ. This whole thing is done in Christ. This is one of Paul's favorite phrases in all of Ephesians, especially the first three chapters, in him in Christ. You you don't get the church if you don't have Christ. You can assemble a lot of things together, a lot of people together without Christ. the The Braves do it eighty one times a year over here on the north side of Atlanta. Used to be in downtown. The Falcons do it eight times a year unless they make the playoffs and have home field advantage. The Hawks. I don't know if anybody still goes to Hawks games, but. Um, I think they try to assemble a crowd. Malls do it. Car dealerships do it. City governments do it. Rock bands, rap artists, they do it all the time. You could could get a group together, a big old group together without Jesus, but you're not gonna call it a church. Buddha got a good group together. Muhammad got a good group together. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses get a good group together. It's not a church. What makes it a church? That it's done in Christ. That the blood of Christ has washed us, has purified us, has made us stand right before God because we trust that that's the only way to be saved. And therefore we have the ability to stand right with one another. To not just gloss over things, not just say, ah, oh, no, that's okay. But to actually confront the issues that bar us from having true peace and unity together. See, this is why church as a family is so important. Because church as a family shows that we have responsibility to one another. See, if we're family, we have to walk through life together. Maybe you come from a bad family. You you hear the idea of family and you think uh, a bunch of rules. Maybe you think abuse. I mean, I, I, I can't speak to what your family dynamic was, but here's what I can speak to. That in the church, as the family of God, we approach it through Christ and therefore we see our responsibility to be to one another a gospel responsibility that I'm not growing spiritually, I'm not growing in my faith if I'm not through Christ reaching into the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul shows us here in this that this is a spiritual thing. It says that together we are being put together and we grow into a holy temple of the Lord. That's a spiritual work. That's a spiritual action. That is something that takes place because the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. And it also shows us that your spiritual growth affects the entire body. Your spiritual growth affects the entire church. Notice he says there, the whole building is put together and it grows into a holy temple. I had a friend growing up who had an injury to the growth plate in his left leg. And that injury to the growth plate in his left leg kept his left leg from growing properly. And as he got older and as he grew, he would have to go to a, a special uh, a podiatrist, foot doctor, who would make for him, build for him, a special shoe that had an extension. And it would grow as he grew because his right leg continued to grow, but he was impaired by the growth of his left leg was impaired to where by the time we finished high school, he had about a five-inch platform on the bottom of his shoe. It affected his ability to run. It affected his ability to, to, to engage in sports and games with the rest of us. It affected his ability to walk. It affected his ability to relate to others because he was always self-conscious of what was not growing properly. See, I believe a lot of the times the reason we don't want to embrace church as family is because we're not growing spiritually and we don't want people to see it. We don't want people to see the deficiency so we're self-conscious of what we don't know rather than say, this is a church family that loves me that's going to help me to grow. So we fully refuse to grow spiritually because we use it as an excuse for why we can't. But if we're looking at this in Christ and spiritually as a spiritual activity, we start saying, okay, I need to grow spiritually because my brothers and sisters need me to be spiritually mature as I draw on their spiritual maturity. That's why the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, let's consider new ways to press one another to love and good works. Let's find out some innovative and creative ways to incite godliness in one another, to help us grow together, to help us. And we do that, why? How? By not forsaking the assembling together as is the habit of some. Do you realize the greatest vehicle for your spiritual growth Continued spiritual growth is your relationship with other Christians. I I love that y'all are here right now. I'm not going to ask anybody to show hands or raise hands or anything because I'm not going to do that. But if you're not here during a Sunday school or small group gathering, you're missing on some huge opportunities to grow spiritually. I can only touch on so much. I could hobby horse something to death and like one or two people would be like, oh man, he was really preaching at me and everybody else like, eh, okay, I missed that one. I, I can only go so deep. I can only touch on one issue a certain amount from up here because I'm not speaking to just one person. I've got people all the way from, let's see, let me pan real quick. Looks like our youngest person in here might be about eight or nine all the way up to 90. I'm, I'm talking to different cultural backgrounds. So I might hammer on something for a passage and just really beat it to death and beat it to death and beat it to death. And one person said, well, that one was definitely for me. And everybody else said, I can only go so deep on certain things. But when you put yourself in a Sunday school class or a small group discipleship, what you're doing is you're opening your life up for others to help you grow spiritually. So let me just go ahead and say, be here at 945 next Sunday. Invest in a relationship. It's more important, I believe, that for you to grow spiritually by being here at 945 than it is for 11. We want this place full. And by my count right now, downstairs we have one, two, three, four, four pews that are fully empty. Upstairs we got a few more. Man, I would love for every pew to have all the seats filled. I'd love that. But I don't want that to the detriment of your ability to grow spiritually because you've been in a family connection relationship with others in a discipleship process that helps you to understand more about why we love Jesus, how we love Jesus, and how to show others that that's true. See, that's where spiritual growth comes in. That's why we assemble together. That's why we say, well, we're going to have this goal for 250 people in Sunday school average by the end of the year. And while we're starting new classes, a college and career class, or college class that we started uh, just a couple months ago, two week, last Sunday, kicking off a new study through Romans that Mike Dixon is leading. That's why we're doing this, so that we can see new ways to bridge into people's life to help you grow. Because a stronger you is a stronger us. A weaker you is a weaker us. A weaker us is bad for Fairburn. A weaker us is bad for the cause of the gospel. That's why I'm committed to being a shining light right here in downtown. Do you, do you realize that right now, right now there are um, exactly one other church in Fairburn that doesn't preach a watered-down gospel? I said there are to make you think there's gonna be more, but there's only one. Did you know that right now in the city of Fairburn, in the downtown area of Fairburn, we're it? We're it. However, many years ago it was that the trade was made between Fairburn, uh, this, this church, I think it was Deep Creek or Deep Springs, Deep something back then, uh, the Deep Church, and the, the railroad to move us to this location. Was not because it was more convenient for them, but because God was placing a church right here in the downtown of Fairburn that could be a light shining for the gospel because no one else does. And this isn't a judgment on any other church or any other preacher, but it's not about prosperity. It's not about what you get in this life. It's about who he is and how we worship him and see lives transformed. And we are it. If we leave Fairburn, who's left? Exactly. A stronger church is needed in Fairburn and that is accomplished as we grow spiritually together. As we say, God, I see that you are putting us together and you are growing us as a holy temple. For what purpose? Because God dwells in his house. God dwells in his house. Look with me, if you will, verse 22. In him, in Christ, you are built together for God's dwelling. See, God is independently wealthy. And and God could, because he has the ability, the resource, and the creative power to do so, to build houses all over the place that he just kind of visits from time to time. But God didn't build a timeshare here. He built a house to dwell in. You are not just some sort of, he gets a week this year or a weekend now. Some people have them. Some people have vacation homes, man, and I envy you. I'll be honest with you, I do. If you want to just, you know, build me a house on Hilton Head Island, I would love it. We could be best friends forever. But that wouldn't be a house that I'd go and live in forever. I'd just go visit it. God didn't make you his child. God didn't adopt you into his family. He didn't send his son Christ to the cross just so that he could have timeshare rights to the house he built in you. John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and by the word were all things made. And then it says, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But when that word became flesh and dwelt among us, he went to the grave for us, ascended to heaven before us, sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us as God directed. God dwells in his house. He lives in his house. That means that we're not built for us. God, God didn't do it just so you could say, look at me, I'm better, I'm a Christian. Look at me, I brought my bulletin. Give me my discount for lunch. You know, all the little things that we do. Look at me, I've got my cross realm in it. Look at me, I've got my WWJD bracelet. Look at me, I've got my First Baptist Church of Fairburn bumper sticker. I've got my coffee mug. Throw that up here, Tim. I want to redeem myself. Yeah. He can be taught. Yeah. We practice that. Just kidding. We're not built for us. We don't exist as the church for us. We exist as the church for Him, for His power, for His glory, for His honor, for His righteousness to be displayed in this place. We're also not built alone. Notice the key word in verse 22. One of the key words. You are also being built together. Together. Everybody look up here just for a second. If you're a member of the church or if you're not a member of the church. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're a member of the true church. Look right here. I need you. Look to your left. That person needs you. Look to your right that person needs you it's not some sort of individualized well you know I've got my little personal private relationship with Jesus and I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to have my own little quiet time and I'm going to do this I'm going to be this I'm going to be by myself and I'm not going to really I'm not going to impress what I talk about what I think what I believe. see that's where we have gotten it wrong in the church We have directed everything towards come in, sit down, shut up, listen, get up, go to the service, sit down, sing, shut up, listen, go home, and not to how does my faith impact your growth? How does your growth impact my growth? How can we web together to show something altogether beautiful? Hey, you're struggling. How can my walk with Christ help you? Hey, you're hurting. How can my walk with Christ lift you up? Hey, you're rejoicing. How can my walk with Christ help us kick our heels together and rejoice in the goodness of God? It is for all to see the power of God in us. And it's also why we need the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says there. We are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. There are two ways we can understand this. First is God dwells us in his Holy Spirit. He indwells us, that's the, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. We are bought, we are sealed, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It happens, at the. we're, we're Southern Baptists, we're Baptists. Our, our, our thought on salvation is this, When you come to faith in Christ, it's because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit has convicted you of your sin and shown you the glory of Christ. And you say, yes, I want that Christ. I want to follow him. And at the moment that happens, you were both baptized by the Holy Spirit and you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit, you don't got to go home and wait for him to show up. When you come to faith in Christ, he fills you. He lives, dwells in your heart right then. It says in Ephesians chapter three, verse 15, that he dwells in our heart by faith right then, God is dwelling in you. But we also understand this as how the Holy Spirit fills us. Church, I'm not gonna, not gonna press the point any further. We need the Holy Spirit if we're gonna grow to see the glory of God demonstrated in Fairburn, Georgia. So maybe this morning you're struggling with what that means, what that looks like, why you need the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why. Because it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can see the beauty of the cross, the peace of our Savior, and the salvation that God offers. It's only by the Holy Spirit that you become a citizen of his kingdom to rejoice through the ages with the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The only way that you know that you have the authority of God for salvation.